Well, parents out there, can you remember what it was like bringing your baby home from the hospital? Some of you don't have to think back that far. It was just two weeks ago. Can you recall the feeling of those very first days as a parent? Right? Having a baby is quite the thing. And then almost as if you didn't see it coming, they just hand you the baby. Right? No course to pass, just a bunch of unsolicited advice on how to swaddle properly. And then it's yours. Right? And from that point on, you are like solely responsible for this little human being. Those first days are wild and oh so precious. Can you can you recall it? I can like zoom myself back in there in a in a heartbeat. On Christmas Eve, we read the story of Jesus' birth. And this year, I used kind of one word to describe the birth. It was only two weeks ago. Anybody remember it? It was lowly, lowly. A baby born in a stable because the young family had nowhere else to stay. No delivery nurse, no postpartum unit, no little plexiglass bassinet on wheels. All they had was some cloth to wrap him in and a manger to lay him in. It's a lowly way to enter the world. But what happens next? How long do they stay in the stable? Right? The animals are eventually going to want their manger back, yeah? The truth is, we really don't know a whole lot about Jesus' earliest days. So what I'd like to do today is go back to the Christmas story and then just keep reading a little bit to see what we might find. So, let's read together from the Gospel of Luke in chapter two. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heavens and on peace and on earth, peace to those whom God favors rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread word concerning what had been told about the, what had been told them about this child. And all who heard were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. And Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angels had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord and to offer sacrifices in keeping with what is said in the law. So we pause for a second as we've got just a couple more details into these early days. So eight days after Jesus is born, he was circumcised. And then shortly after that, he was brought to Jerusalem to be presented at the temple. For the geography nerds out there, Mary and Joseph's home was in Nazareth. They gave birth in Bethlehem, temples in Jerusalem. So Bethlehem is the furthest south 
of all of them. He would travel six miles north to Jerusalem, and it would be an additional 65 miles or so to Nazareth. So check this out. Mary's nine months pregnant, forced to travel some 70 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem, all so that she can register for taxes with her fiancé. Well, there she ends up giving birth in a stable because there's no room for them anywhere. She gets a couple days of rest, and then she's back at it on another road trip. Now, six miles doesn't sound too bad. How many of you drive six miles or more to get to church? That's a good number of you. It's not bad. Six miles walking after giving birth, carrying a newborn baby? That's not so much fun. Parents, once again, think back to the first time you drove with your kids. I can't tell you how much time I spent getting that car seat installed perfectly. Right? I was lucky to have YouTube, so I could watch a YouTube video from the manufacturer. I had a little level out there making sure the base was put in perfectly. I like to think of myself as a pretty handy person. I contemplated driving to the fire department just to make sure everything was good. And yet none of that fully prepared me for the first time I put our little girl in that car seat and then placed the car seat in a running car. Right, Julia sat in the back, one arm around the car seat. I drove like 15 miles an hour shoulder checking every like three seconds. Yeah, six mile hike to Jerusalem carrying a newborn baby. That's no joke. And Jerusalem itself is really no joke. It was probably the busiest city Mary and Joseph had ever been to. And the temple was probably the busiest part of that city. It's one thing bringing your baby home, but bringing your baby out in public, right? Passing them around to family members, bringing your baby to church, all those people wanting to touch her, hold her. And then something happens. Let's keep reading. When the time came for the purification rite required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was a righteous and devout man. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. He had been told, he had been, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the, in the child Jesus to do for him what was custom of the law, Simeon took him into his arms, praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, you have, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all the nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against 
so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your soul too. Can you imagine? Uh, You're tired after a hike, you've been carrying your little baby into a crowded temple, and then the oldest man there, someone known for their devotion to God and their connection with the Spirit, notices you. And not only notices you, but takes your baby into his arms and proclaims for all to hear that your baby is something special, someone special. In fact, that he had waited his entire life to meet the Messiah, the one who will save Israel, and in your baby, his eyes have finally seen God's salvation. That's a lot to take in. But before you have time to even think about what he just said, another person notices you. We keep reading. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Once again, can you imagine? I mean, everyone thinks their first child is advanced, but can you imagine this scene taking place here, right, or in the temple in front of all those people, Simeon and Anna, the the wisest, most devout people around see something in your baby, and not just something, they see like everything in your baby, I can only imagine that Mary and Joseph would have been flooded with feelings of of humility and gratitude, right? Recognizing in such a public way that they are being entrusted with raising such such an important child. I've also got to assume that it triggered some worry, or at the very least, a profound awareness of the challenges that might arise. As you may have noticed, Simeon said, This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts would be revealed and a sword will pierce Mary's soul as well. It doesn't sound like an easy road for their little boy. But I'd hope that they settled into a sense of reassurance and wonder Right, no matter how lowly the birth was, there's something reassuring knowing that their, their little family is a part of something bigger, a part of a, a bigger picture, a bigger plan. God was with them, and people around them could tell. And then today's reading finishes with these words. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It's quite the way to start being a parent. 
I often like to think that I can relate with Mary and Joseph, being that we all had our first kid on Christmas. <laughs> but then you have like the angels and the shepherds and the prophets in the temple, right, seeing him as the Messiah, and it gets a little bit harder to relate to. And yet I chose to like take our time reading through this passage because I think there's some lessons hidden in it, right? This story, it, it encompasses universal themes of parental concern, spiritual reflection, the celebration of childhood milestones, and the many surprises that come along the way of parenting. I think this story, at the very least, can help us see ourselves in the life and experience of Mary and Joseph, and then, hopefully in time, will help us better understand Mary Joseph and, and maybe even Jesus in the weeks to come. But you know who really caught my eye this week? It was Simeon and Anna. They often get glossed over. This reading is usually just skipped altogether. But my goodness, aren't they wildly inspiring people of faith? Rarely are people's ages included in the Bible. But one thing that stands out about Simeon and Anna is that they're both old. Simeon's depicted as, as approaching the end of life as he meets Jesus in the temple. And, and Anna's said to be 84. And it's worth pointing out that 84 back then would be like living far past 100 today. But it's not just how long they've lived. It's how they've chosen to live that really caught me. On the one hand, you have an old man who's known for having a connection with the Holy Spirit. He spent his whole life with the hopeful expectation that God might do something, might show something to him. And he lived a life of faithful devotion awaiting that day. For being honest, I don't know if I have patience for something like that. Sometimes I get so caught up in the allure of instant gratification that the idea of working towards something for a year, let alone for a lifetime, it feels daunting. But I'll tell you, in Simeon's life is a testament to it as well. Faith is not some New Year's resolution, right, or a quick fix to earthly problems. It's a lifetime of patiently awaiting that next encounter with God. It's a slow and faithful cultivation of a connection with God and, and a connection with your inner self. Simeon had that kind of faith. He's been, he's been grooving that swing for, for decades. And then you have Anna. I mean, her life gets two quick sentences, but those sentences tell us a lot about her. Oh, if you caught it. Anna's been through some things. She got married, and seven years in, her husband died. And then she spent the next 60 years or so as a widow, practically living at church, worshiping day and night, offering prayers constantly. Once again, I'll tell you something. Some of the strongest and most spiritually rich people I know have been through hard things. Right? Like the hardest things. Something happens. Something powerful happens when people find a way through life's struggles without becoming bitter or cynical. 
you know, people, the people I find most inspiring and comforting when I'm going through things are the ones who have walked right up to the edge and haven't lost their faith. That's, that's Anna. And so friends, I, I think this story is a really cool glimpse at the entire life cycle of faith. We've got a newborn baby who is vulnerable and special. We have some young parents exhausted from giving birth and the, the subsequent hike to the temple. And then we have the wisdom and faith of a couple elderly figures who are able to see something in Jesus because they've spent their whole life attuning themselves to those sort of things. All week, this story reminded me of, of church, of our church, because we've got all that stuff going on too. We've got people engaging this faith community from every stage of life. We've got a nursery full of babies and their parents wondering if they'll ever get a full night of sleep again. You will. It's coming. We have Sunday school kids racing out of the sanctuary. You know why they're racing? Because they all want the best beanbag chair. It's true. There's one blue one. And then we have their parents who are just glad they're someone else's problem for 30 minutes. Sorry, kids that just came in for communion. <laughs> we have career folks who are trying to balance the pressures of work and the pressures of home. We have empty nesters looking for new friends and hobbies and, and ways to give back. We have retired folks who are busier than ever. And we have others who have slowed life way down. We have a two-week-old and we've got a 98-year-old. We have people who have stepped into this church for the very first time this year, and we have people who've been coming around these parts for decades. And friends, I just think that's one of the greatest gifts of being a part of a community like ours. You're invited to develop relationships with people across multiple generations, and from them, you can glean a lifetime of, of wisdom and stories and spirit and faith. And I know it can be hard engaging in, in conversations with people who are in, this is a really different season of life than the one you find yourself in. Or it can be awkward to walk up to someone and say, wow, you know, you look really old. How about some advice, <laughs> right? Or you look like you've been through some hard things. How about some perspective? <laughs> but as a church, we try to create like natural ways to, to hang out to hear each other's stories, to learn from each other. As you consider how you're going to engage the church in this new year, keep an eye out for some of the, the big group things that will be coming in the, in the next month or so. Right? Lenten potlucks, not all that far off. Uh, book studies, musical ensembles, special services like Ash Wednesday, Good Friday. You can also try plugging into some of the regular opportunities, like hanging out in a nursery. We need people holding babies. There's more down there than ever. Helping out with Sunday school, right? Man, that fight over the beanbag chair. Preparing coffee fellowship. I don't know, but when I came in, the lights were off and there were no tables set up. I think that means no one signed up. Uh, coffee fellowship is a way to get involved, or even volunteering the office if you just want to hear the chat. None of those things sound like you, 
but you can think of something that sounds like you and we're not doing, let us know. Someone want to plan a pub crawl again? Great. All right, let us know. Someone want to play pickleball? Let us know. We actually have a court now. Someone wants to play pickup basketball? I'm personally out. I've retired, but go for it. <laughs> Seriously, if you have an idea of how to create intergenerational community, let us know. That's what we're all about. The point is we need each other. We need people who are just starting out, who have fresh eyes, right, and, and ideas and energy, and we need people who have been here for a while, who have faithfully called this place home for years. Our kids just came in for communion. In just a moment, young and old alike, we're going to line up and we're going to receive bread and grape juice and name for everybody that we're better together. Because friends, this is, this is church. And so know that no matter who you are, no matter where on the stages of life you find yourself this morning, you're welcome here. We are better together. Amen.